Welcome back to another episode of Stimulate Your Mind, proudly presented what to you by Muslim Knowing he's the, the cousin of the Imam and the, the messenger of the Imam, coming to basically tell them, okay, your Imam is ready for you. I, I think there's multiple factors, but one of the main factors was money, was gaining wealth. So even, and it became a pattern, you know, um, there's an ayah in the Quran that describes the companions of the Prophet that says, يَتَسَرَعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرَاتِ You know, there's this, uh, uh, there's this rush for the individual to do good, mm. morally speaking, of course. Yeah. That really wasn't a pattern that was followed anymore. And people just wanted to accumulate wealth, accumulate wealth, accumulate wealth. But to what end? I mean, if you compare it to the, the lifestyle Ali lived and which got him killed was that I'm head of state. If the poorest person is just eating bread and salt. I'm eating bread and salt. I'm eating bread and salt. It's not like the imam never ate meat. The imam was very conscious of what he was doing. It wasn't like, oh, hey, man, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not going to touch meat. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this all my life. You know, in Da'wat al-Ashira, the imam actually had some meat because he was preparing the food when Rasulullah was announcing his prophethood yeah. to his family, you know. But the imam lived the lowest possible social life in comparison to the poorest man or the poorest citizen in the Islamic state or as a citizen in the Islamic state, that no one would say, oh, he's living better than me. Mm. I mean, to that extent, no one can actually comment on that. No one can be like, oh, no, the imam actually wanted wealth. There are a lot of other attempts to be like, oh, Sayyidah Fatima had some greed towards Fadak. Yeah. Um, they're dismissed. I would refer the book of uh, Sayyid Muhammad Bakr Sadr. He has a book called Fadak in Islamic History. Yeah. Fascinating. He, he disarms all those arguments very well. But what I'm trying to get to is there's a khutbah for Imam Ali alayhi salam describing his um, companions or the ones he or the ones who were with him in war. And he calls them, Ya ashbah rijal wa lastum rijal you are like men. You're not a man. Yes. You're like a man. You look like a man. Yeah, you look like a man, but you're not actually a man. And he knew that the attitude of the Islamic nation would not serve the message of God well because the people simply wanted to accumulate wealth. And that pattern was established very, very obviously from the third caliph. And it continued all the way, all the way to individuals like Omar bin Sa'ad. Omar bin Sa'ad was not stupid. Amr bin Sahad was not a fool. He was aware he was killing. He was conscious of it. It wasn't like, oh, Imam Hussein is a kafir. We're going to kill him. He was like, whoa, ray. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm be giving a land just to kill this person. And maybe in two years, I can repent. So he knows what he's doing is wrong. But there was that greed. Like, I want more. I want more. Yeah. And that behavior was only adopted because the previous leaders showed that behavior. And when someone like Ali... Didn't the people like, yeah, man, we, we, we don't we don't want this. We can't we can't handle this. Enough for us, yeah. yeah. I just remembered something. You know, you were mentioning about money, money, money. That that was their focus. If you go back to Uhud, the archers, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they left. They, they all they ran because they saw the booty of war. They saw the booty of war. They exactly. left, and, and they left uh, Rasulullah exposed to Khalid exactly. and Walid. So yeah, that's the same. Yeah, it, 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 it's constantly repeating itself, and even today. Even today, looking at the Arab same. nations, it's the same story same over thing. and over and over again. And I think the cycle, I, thats I think Imam Hussein set out to break that cycle, to bring about social justice, to bring about social reform and, and the reform of the, of, the, of the 
message of Islam in itself. But now he's faced with a dilemma. His his cousin, his messenger has been killed by Ibn Ziyad. Yep. Thrown off a castle and dragged through the streets. Han Ibn Arwa has been killed. Yep. That was an that was an, also an example of let's establish fee among the people. Yep. Beyond our resident state, we're gonna crush you. You know, it's like how the communists rule with an iron fist. Yeah. Like you have to be scared of us because if you're not a, a loyal citizen to this corruption, you're gonna get crushed, and we're gonna we're gonna show everybody. It's basically what's setting an happen. example. Setting yeah. an example through exactly. Han Ibn Arwa. And and you'll find something interesting when Imam Hussein got the letter that Muslim Ibn Aqil was assassinated and was killed. It was about midway through Karbala. He didn't turn back. He didn't turn back. He was like, whoa, they, they killed him. Things are not in my favor. Let me turn back and protect myself. Imam Hussein looked into the eyes of death, literally, and was like, death over humiliation. Imam Hussein was not going to give by any cost. He was, literally, deter- he was like, determined to follow through with the message he set out. Yeah, to- like at any cost, literally. Yazid was like, bay'ah or death. I chose death. You know? Yeah. And it surprises me how this individual is not recognized internationally and especially among the Western world when you have people like Patrick Henry, mm. you know, one of the American revolutionaries who says, give me liberty or give me death. And he's honored, you know, he's an example to the world. Why isn't Hussein ibn Ali used as an example? He done that way before and, and for way even before, more yeah. than just liberty. He, he came about and not just, it wasn't just about social justice. Of course, that's our focus today, but he came about to show like at the end, they were human. At the end of the day, we are human, regardless of Muslim, Sunni, Shia, yeah, Christian. Yeah. It didn't matter. Of course. It, to the Imam, it did not matter. You have a respect just because you're a citizen of a state. I'll give you a, a story. Imam Ali, alayhi salam, was a caliph, was strolling through, the, through Kufa. And again, head of state, yeah. strolling, you know, observing the public. And he sees a man begging for money. And Ali is like to his companions. Why is there a man... Under my rule, begging for money. They're like, uh, Ali, he's a Christian. He's like, I didn't ask about his religion. Mm. Why is there a man begging? You used him during his youth to work for us. And now when he's old and incapable, you don't help him? Give him from the treasury of the Muslims. Mm. Hold on a sec. This guy isn't a Muslim. This guy shouldn't be getting the money. But the imam is giving someone from another religion, from another ideology, the money of the Muslim treasury, of course, in a just way to show that under my rule, the birds won't get hungry. Mm. And he told them, make sure to sprinkle wheat on the mountains so nobody is hungry. Look at the focus of the imam. He wasn't like, hey man, the prayer has to change or certain aspects of the adhan were altered. Let's bring that back. They are very important, by the way, but it wasn't the imam's focus. And when you look at, because Imam Ali showed us or Imam Ali demonstrated a government that was led by a mahsoom, by an infallible, the way that we believe it had to go. So we do have an example of how things went. And when you look at how Ali conducted himself politically, as a politician, I think everybody is fascinated. To the extent that certain Christians like George Urtak is calling Ali the voice of human justice. Yeah. Wow. Like to me, that's fascinating. What more do you need? What more do you need? So now... What's Imam Hussein's stance? Essentially, he's, he's been blocked from going to Kufa. He's diverted towards Karbala. What, what's what's his, his stance now? Where is he going with this? Look, there's so many examples I can use to, sh- to demonstrate Imam Hussein's stance. But I believe 
I could possibly sum it in two lines that he used. And I'm going to say in Arabic first, just to be able to translate it. He goes, Wallahi, laqad wada'ani bayna sillati wa dhilla. Right? Either I give bay'ah, and Yazid is accepted, recognized as a caliph, or I don't. And Imam Hussein knew the repercussions of him not giving bay'ah. Not, oh, he's going to die. But the, the way the world is going to view that, because if you look later, there were more revolutions against Bani Umayyah. Yeah. And Bani Umayyah crumbled after that. I mean, Yazid attacked the Kaaba, Yazid attacked Medina, right? And then you had another Hussein from the family of the Prophet actually wage war. You had Zayd wage a war. So it wasn't, oh, Imam Hussein was the only individual. But I'll explain, I'll explain it like an analogy like this. You have an earthquake, and post the earthquake, you have little earthquakes. Yeah. Imam Hussein was the major one, and the little earthquakes were, were certain tremors. individuals. Yeah, tremors. And you see them to now. Yeah, certain countries have liberated themselves on the thought of Hussein ibn Ali. Yeah, definitely. You, you, know? look, you look at Yemen now and, and the stance they have. It's, it's, of course. It's the same concept. Like there's oppression and we're here to break that, that cycle of oppression. Definitely. So now Imam Hussein is looking at this. He's walked into a battle where if we're honest with ourselves, he does not have the manpower. Yeah, yeah. The odds were against so him. Some narrations go to 40,000. Some weaker narrations go, go even higher. Yeah, that's right. A lot higher. Um, so he's walked into a battle with his family, his, his, his brother, his cousins, his, his son, his nephews, um, and the women, the women of, of Rasulullah. Of course. I mean, I'll, I'll show you an example. Uh, we were talking earlier about the tactics used by Bani Umayyah in terms of the fee and the propaganda. The night before the 10th, the night before the battle, Imam Hussein dims the lights, mm. right? This is so fascinating. He dims the lights. And he goes, let everybody or my companions partner with one of my household and leave. Imam Hussein gave him a choice. He wasn't like, hey man, I'm your imam. Be with me, please. I need somebody next to me. Imam Hussein was so honorable that he was ready to face all of Bani Umayyah by himself. Yeah, on his own. Literally, yeah. as an individual. Try to imagine it. Let's say you have 10,000. You yeah. know, there's narrations that say 40. I've seen narrations of 120,000. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But let's say there's 10,000, right? Even less than that. It doesn't really matter. Who is brave enough to stand alone, literally, by yourself? You're that determined to be like, no, I am not giving payah. You can cut me into pieces. You can behead me. And he knew that. And it wasn't suicidal. It wasn't like, oh, I'm sick of life. I want to die. No. It was like, you know what? I'm going to stand in, front, in the face of Yazid, even if I'm going to get beheaded. It was a man on a mission. Yep. And look over here he is now. And he says something in Arabic, or say, mithli, Exactly. He doesn't mean it in a conceited way. Someone like me does not give allegiance to someone like him. So, so um, what does the imam mean by this? Like in, in the context of where he is, what does the imam be, mean by like someone like me will never give allegiance to someone like you? The imam is trying to the imam is trying to raise basira. The imam is trying to raise, uh, raise conscientiousness towards haq to identify himself as a hujja to be like someone who has my traits, someone that has my lineage would not give bayah to someone that that is like you who did not pray, who would drink alcohol who would kill the respected self as the imam narrates specifically. But more so, even in a, in, in, in a, uh, 
eagle-eye view, Righteous. the imam was trying to establish a righteous society by stating himself as an example, like Misli, he knew it. And that's why the mission of reform was from day one for the imam, yeah. despite the difficulties. And you were saying before how Imam Hussain says um, his mission, sorry, and, and he says, uh, he says something, and I'll link it to what you were saying, uh, when Ayyub Akbar asks him, are we marching towards death? And yeah. he says to him, Are we not on the Are true we not path? On the righteous path. Haq in this in you can look at it in two ways. Is a haq as in the rights and haq as in truth. Mm. Right? Yeah. And then he goes, Yes, we are. And then Ali Akbar replies, he goes, Then we do not care if death falls upon us or we feel fall upon death. So that was also another uh, basically nudge at we, you know, we are going to establish a righteous government. Definitely. So what, at any what, cost possible. What baffles me is that his family and his companions took leaf out of Imam Hussein's book. It baffles me. At the end of the day, he is an infallible. Let's look at him as an infallible, as a leader, as a general. But his companions, given the, the chance to go, to leave in the darkness of the night. And then you have Ali al-Akbar or, for example, al-Qasim. Narrations say he was 12, 13 years old. Yep. He's asked, how do you say death? To me, it's sweeter than honey. And then you have children, children, the, the sons of uh, Sayyidah Zainab, Aun and Muhammad. Why were they so convinced in the message of Imam Hussain? What, what conviction did they have? And how did they, they look at Imam Hussain and be like, you know what, you're right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight with you. They saw Rasulullah through Imam Hussain. The, the sunnah of Rasulullah was living through the veins and the blood of Imam Hussein. He was the embodiment of the sunnah of Rasulullah. And to reject that person, or actually on the other side, to actually follow Imam Hussein or to fight alongside him was like fighting alongside Rasulullah. And that's what they desired. That's what they desired. Um, speaking of that, we can go to someone that baffles me and him always. When we used to sit there reading and writing majelis, someone that used to just... I remember the all-nighters actually. <laughs> yeah. Someone that used to make our, make our heads scratch, you know, Zuhair ibn Qayyim. Yeah. How is it that an individual who fought Imam Ali, right, in the battle in the battle of Jannah, and he was a Uthmani, so he was a follower of the third. Okay. How is it that he came to the point where in the rishas of uh, Abu Mukhnaf, he says he's the one that said, you know, when Imam Hussein told him in the night, you know, leave. Mm. He says. You know, if we are killed um, a thousand times and then we are revived and then uh, we're cut into pieces and then we are burnt and then our and ashes scattered, scattered yep. and this happens to us a thousand, a thousand times, we'll never leave. Never leave you. How, how does that? I don't understand. You, you have many examples of individuals in Karbala who looked at, if we were to look at social justice and relate it to today, today, with everything that's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, you look at John. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You look at John and, and the way he spoke of himself, the way he pictured himself, and the way Imam Hussein responded. He goes, to, he goes to him, let my dirty blood mix with your pure blood. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Let my, let my bad odor mix with your beautiful scent. And then Imam Hussein comes to him after he's martyred and he, he puts his cheek on his cheek. And like, yeah. that, that's a powerful message. Of only course. He only done that with two people. Yeah. His son Ali Akbar and John. And wow. John. wow. And then, as a slave. And see, that's what made him, that's what John 
that's what made him cry. Yeah, yeah. He was shocked. He's like, who is like me? That the son of Rasulullah puts his cheek. Puts his cheek upon my cheek. You look at John and then the mess said so Imam Hussein didn't do anything just haphazardly. Just no, just yeah. for the sake of doing it. No. Putting, putting his cheek on the cheek of a black man, that's a big message. And not like we're talking fourteen hundred years ago. We're that's talking right. a time where these people were not respected whatsoever. No, no, they were treated yeah. worse than animals. Yeah. And just go back to the 1960s and see how the Western world was yeah, dealing with the black the, people. The civil rights movement in yeah. America and, and the way, even today, today yep. the way uh, blacks are treated in America, even here in Australia yep. with the Aboriginals. Of course. And look at Imam Hussein 1400 years ago. He sends a message that has lasted this long. Yep. How powerful. He, he's, he's, how powerful. That in itself is social justice. Of course. Something very, very small, but yet it echoed throughout history. Definitely. And we're talking about it, what? 1400 years later? Yeah. Until now, it baffles us. And yeah. until now, it baffles yep. the Muslims. Like, before, how can a man. Before John was killed, I mentioned something. I was reading it. He was kneeling down and he was waiting. So Imam Hussain, after he gave the speech and he said, you know, leave in the night. And John was by himself just looking towards the battlefield. Imam Hussain comes and he whispers, to, he, he can hear John whispering something. And what he was saying was in his mind, it's like, I have been with, you know, Abadar, because he was Abadar's uh, servant. Yeah. I've been with Ali ibn Abi Talib. I've been with Hassan. And he goes, and I'm not leaving here until I give every last drop of my blood in service of this man. Mm. So Imam Hussain, he's him saying this. And he's saying it to himself. And he goes to him, John, he goes, you are old. Yeah, you know, you've done your part. You don't, you don't need to fight. Yeah, you've done your part. You've served, you know. And throughout his service, that's what a lot of people don't understand throughout his service, he clung on to them. Yeah, definitely. They, they let him go. So Imam, Imam Ali, alayhi salam, um, I was reading, he actually paid for him and freed him. Yep. But he he gave, he told him to go to Abadar and he began to learn the ways of Ahlul Bayt. Wow. Through Abadar. Amazing. And then slowly, slowly, that it embedded in him. Yep. So by the time I got to Imam Hussain, this guy's saying, I'm going to live, I'm going to give, you know, every last drop of my blood in service of him, of my master. And Imam Hussain tells him, because you're a free man, you're, mm. you know, you're an old man, it's not, it's not compulsory for you to fight. Yep. And he said, he says something that shocked me. He goes, us, he goes, in our comfort, when we're comfortable, he goes, we, it's, it's a bit of a vague translation, he goes, we lick your boots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there, there is a loss of meaning in the translation, yeah, 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 but definitely. I understand what you're trying to say there, definitely. But he's saying that. Yeah, yeah, of course. He goes, and, and now that you're in hardship, you want me to leave you? He goes, never. Wow. He goes, I will not leave you until my, what you said, my, you know, my dirty blood mixes with your blood, yeah. my scent, uh, my, my stench uh, is wretched, my lineage is, is wicked. And he goes, blow on me a scent that makes, that brightens my face after my death, um, makes a nice, brings a nice scent from my body. Mm-hmm. And my lineage becomes pure. Pure. Wow. Like to that extent where he's he's looking at this like in the future, my people, my lineage. He's not saying like I'm dead. Yeah. yeah. I'm dead. So I'm not gonna whoever comes after me. His people follows wow. follows Ahl That's amazing. I haven't even thought about it like that. Like you look oh at my like, God. like Wow. You were talking about uh Basira for conscientiousness. That's that's the essence of it. Yep. Like understanding that I'm standing with the truth. Definitely. The truth in essence, like the truth manifested as a man. Forget wow. that he's an imam. Yeah. Forget that, like, take that out of the picture for now. Awesome. You look at him and 
what he stood for. And then another instance of social justice is his brother, Al-Abbas. Yeah, like we, we always remember him as this warrior and, and a lion of God. And I mean, he's the son of Imam Ali. Like what else is he going to turn out to be? You know what I mean? Definitely. But when Shimr, who eventually is the one that beheads Imam Hussein, he comes to him and he goes to uh, Al-Abbas. He goes, he goes, we're related. We're cousins. Come on, man. I can give you free passage. Come with me. Bring Ali al-Akbar. Bring... But his reply is the same reply that Ali ibn Abi Talib would say. He tells him, I give you a letter here that pardons you. You're, you're fine. You're safe. You and your three brothers, Uthman, mm. Abdullah, and, and Jafar. That's right. He goes, just come to our side. He said, you give me a letter of pardon and you give no letter to the son of the prophet. The son of the prophet. It's quite yeah. ironic, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, but see, that instance is like, even relation did not matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't matter because at the end of the day, we're standing for something. We're, we're on a mission to show people or to, to demonstrate to, to the future. It wasn't for them. No, definitely. It wasn't for, it's for us. Yeah. Like to demonstrate, like it doesn't matter if your cousin or your brother or your family friend or whoever's on the other side. Like, that's, that's a problem that we have. Salman, Salman was told, if you see all the people going one way and Imam <laughs> Ali going the other. Exactly. Follow exactly. Imam Ali. One this this is an instance of that. Definitely. One person, because uh, Hassan uh, mentioned something before about the Christian man with the shield. One person is actually not mentioned enough. Wahab. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Wahab, Wahab is Wahab. a Christian man who just got married. They say he was around 18 years old with his wife and his mother. The honeymoon phase we're talking about. Honeymoon yeah. phase. Yeah. And by coincidence, or I don't believe in coincidence, mm. Imam Hussein's tent, his caravan stops right next to where Wahab is stationed with his mother and his newlywed. How does he become, how does he follow Imam Hussein in that path? And he's a Christian man. Yeah. That foresight that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. He listens. He walks out. He goes, who's this man? Imam Hussein, every time he was stationed on the way from Mecca to Karbala, he would, um, he would stop the caravan, set up basically a place where everyone would gather, all his companions, and he'd give sermons. And there's a misconception as well in, um, in that only 70, 72 joined Imam Hussein. There was actually thousands. Yeah, definitely. There were. Definitely in the beginning, yeah. yeah. But that, that number did produce. Every it time. Do, it, it was like Muslim. Yeah. It was like Imam Ali. Yep. Every single time Imam Hussein would give a sermon, these people were like, hold on a second. I'm not here to die. Yeah. 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 i got a family to feed. i got you know money to make. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> i got things to do. i got a wife to live. Yeah, yeah. There was an inclination towards accumulating wealth yeah. and the individuals that stayed with Imam Hussein, especially when you were mentioning Abul Fadl. And to me, there's one line that really um, echoes that. As as he's about to go and get the water, he goes to Imam Hussein, nifaq. Mm. I am over the hypocrisy, not of not just of the people that he was fighting, over the Islamic society as a whole. Yeah. And that was showing, oh, I mean, Abul Fadl was trying to demonstrate how the social Islamic values are above all, including family and including yourself and including any other materialistic understanding. And that's why when you look at Islam, specifically in social justice, it far surpasses Marxism, communism, capitalism, postmodernism. Any kind of ism. Literally. The ideals presented within Islam in a perspective introduced by social justice are the highest form. And to me, that is fascinating that all the imams were ready to establish that and 
try and find if any imam contradicted any another. Try to find if the behavior of Imam Hassan differed from the behavior of Imam Sadr ah, in terms of so. establishing Imam, uh, in terms of establishing social justice. That's why we have uh, some one of the ulama like Sayyid Khamina. He has a book. It's called the 250-year-old being. So he looks at the 12 imams as a as one as person. As a single being, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not single beings. Yeah, they're all definitely. each imams. But he's looking at them as one person trying to establish a political slash social ideology in the world that is going to echo to today. Yeah, definitely. So Imam Hussein in this in this grand mission challenged racism, he challenged oppression, he challenged injustice in, in its essence. And all, like I could, the list goes on and on yep. and on and on definitely and then after his martyrdom we see Sayyidah Zainab stand up in front of a tyrant yeah and and people go out to say oh women don't have all this kind of stuff in Islam and then you see Sayyidah Zainab Sayyidah Zainab who has seen her whole family massacred yep. massacred butchered to bits Ali Akbar they couldn't pick him up that's right yeah yeah, they couldn't pick him up. They pick up one side, the other would fall. Yeah, definitely. She saw her own sons, Aun and Muhammad, be butchered. Her, her brother, her protector, Abdul Abbas. Yeah, all her family members of course. Even, even that mentioning her, her sons. All right, what did she do? She, she went, she went into submission. Yeah, and she said, "Oh God, please accept this little sacrifice." Yeah, perhaps. and then even after. When Imam Hussein had been beheaded, she went up to his body. Oh Allah, please accept this little sacrifice, this I mean, small sacrifice. What did she see, right? When she was asked by yeah. Ibn Ziyad, what did she nothing, see? Nothing but beauty. How can you interpret that, man? You can't. How, how can there you was, there's so that? much wisdom behind that, that line. Let's listen to brother. And he said, he goes, because she understood true meaning of la ilaha illallah. Wow. It reminds me of how her mother, her mother conducted herself. Yep. And it shows you that those attempts to re-establish social justice were were consistent with these individuals. Definitely. Sayyidah Zahra rose up, Sayyidah Zainab rose up. All these individuals rose up to women or men, doesn't matter. Yeah. The gender At he the didn't matter. At the end of the day, it yeah. was the same message. It was the same message. To be That's honest, I, I find I find Sayyidah Fatima and Sayyidah Zainab's speeches stronger than certain men's speeches. Definitely. With such... That yeah. their fervor and wow. firmness and strength, like a'lamu anni Fatima. Yeah, yeah, know that yeah. I am Fatima. Yep. yep. Right, say the Zainab. You know, your days are numbered. Wow. Like, who staunches to a, a, a tyrant? Like, literally, the whole country was in fear. Yeah. yeah. On this guy. And she's staunching right in front of him. And mind you, they had technically, physically lost the battle because they so all died. Definitely. Yeah. But then, then she stands up and she basically hands it back to him, like, okay, we're all dead, but yeah, you go take this. And, and look how she connects the dots. You know, when he tells her, your brother exited your, the religion, he goes, my brother exited the religion. <laughs> it's you and your father. That's who exited the religion. She, she, she did not back down yeah. from standing up for Imam Hussein's message. And exactly. in fact, she continued that message. She was the most important individual in re-establishing the message of Karbala. And that's why at the start of this discussion, we mentioned like, why would he take the women? Exactly. And that's exactly yeah. why. Yeah. Because they saw the whole journey. Definitely. Definitely. The whole journey. And the Arabs, the Arabs, they knew you can't kill the women. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it was among the Arabs, uh, uh, what do I say, custom? Yeah. Not to th kill the women. They knew that. So maybe the Imam calculated that. Look at that wisdom. Yeah, maybe the Imam calculated like, knew that. He maybe. knew, like, yeah. as bad and as, as disgusting as these people were. That's right, yeah. I'm going to take my sister because I need someone to continue the message. Wow. My, my son wow. Is, is ill. Yep. My son is ill. He, yep. I wouldn't say he's incapable, but the fact that Sayyidah Zainab was the one to jump in front of him when Thanks. he was about to be attacked. 
and she's the one that gets up and gives the first speech. Yep. The first speech in the court of Yazid. Yeah, they did not show weakness. No, no, no. None in front of Yazid. No, no. Or in front of Ibn Ziyad or in on in Karbala. The Imam did not show weakness. Yeah, they would cry inside. We mentioned them in Majalis. Yeah. Me and Talib have come across that many times. You know, that she would go in the tent and cry. At the end of the day, Sayyidah Zainab was a human being. Definitely. But when she was facing her opponent, an opponent who she differed with ideologically, she was fierce. She was really fierce. That's why the Imam Ali says, My daughter Zainab is alima ghair muallama. Mm. I mean, translate that, man. How can I translate that to English? Someone who knows but isn't taught. Yeah. I think it's lost in translation there. It, it is, it is. It you, is can't, yeah. you can't translate the, the, the real um, exactly. meaning of that. Exactly. And that even Imam Zain al-Abidin repeats it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like she, she's knowledgeable without being taught and she's she's a, a scholar. Yeah, even, even to link that with the 12th Imam, I, I don't want to go off topic here, but I want to just focus on that role of women. In that time when the, when the Imam was born, the women played a vital role in translating the Islamic community from a direct Imam to the representatives. Yep. You know, the, the women played a very vital role within the ideology. And it, it doesn't surprise me. I think, I think um, it's, it's sad that Muslims in particular have, have this perspective that women were never given a stage. Yeah. It, it's, it's upsetting because you look at Sayyidah Fatima, or even before Sayyidah Fatima, you look at her mother, Sayyidah Khadija, and the role she played, and then Sayyidah Fatima, and then Sayyidah Zainab. Yep. And then literally every single wife of the Imams that came afterwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, especially the wife of Imam Hassan al-Askari. Yeah, definitely. Sayyidah Narjas, the, the mother of the present Imam. That's right. And the women in that household who were willing to sacrifice to keep the message alive. And that was, it was all about that really. That's all it was about. Spreading awareness, spreading conscientiousness about Islam. All in all, and to end, how would you describe the revolution of Imam Hussein in achieving social justice? Wow, that's a very interesting question. I'd like to reference Charles Dickens here and we can go back to why he took his family with him. Charles Dickens says, if Hussein had worldly desires in his revolution, Right? If Hussein had worldly desires, because maybe he wanted to do a revolution to become rich and become the head of state. Gain power. You yeah. know, I'll gain power, I'll gain money, I'll gain respect, I'll have a good grip on things. And you see that in communism, how they claimed to serve the working class, but it started to delineate yeah. away. So Charles Dickens says this very, very clearly. If Hussein had worldly desires, then why did he take his family? Mm. And why did he take his women? Why did he take his women? So it wasn't worldly desires. So it was to establish reform. Social reform, not jurisprudential reform, not, oh, hey, let's pray three rak'at instead of four, mm. or you do wudu this way, or you do abolition this way, or you do this particular practice this way. The focus was social justice, and that's what they were ready to give their lives for, which in reality is the embodiment of monotheism, yep. of saying la ilaha illallah, is to live in a society where we have a egalitarian understanding and i had to google that word when i heard it it means to to um uh, propagate the idea of equality among all citizens mm. and you clearly see that under the government of Ibn Abi Talib and that was something the imam was ready to die for and he did imam hussein did die for that mm. but obviously only in physical form yeah. today you see resistance groups you see uh, social groups that that really harness that energy because what does the imam sadiq say so that desire for reform, that desire to establish justice, especially for Karbala, he said, So it will never 
it will never reach that. It's a flame that will never subside. Yeah, it's a flame that will never subside. So today, in the context of the 21st century, especially among Middle Eastern countries and Western countries, they can learn from the examples of Imam Hussein and how he conducted himself in Karbala indefinitely. And that's why you see a lot of Western ideologues speak about Imam Hussein. But unfortunately, they're not really highlighted in our um, university teachings or in yeah, our schools or definitely. in society. In essence, that's why his message has remained 1400 years on where every single year in yep. the month of Muharram, we commemorate this, this revolution for social justice and where we basically relive the message and re-pledge our allegiance to a, a system that allows social justice. And definitely. it's something we, we should... Uh, continue to work towards 100% I mean we can we can continue to talk to this about ours there are yeah. so many other examples of how the revolution echoed definitely that's a problem I have every year okay when we're speaking about Muharram all right, and Karbala and the Ashura nights 10 nights alright every night I, you know I could do it every single night mm. for 365 days every single year you know make you cry doesn't mean anything Unless there's action, there exactly. has to be action. Reform, you know, not just socially reform yourself. Even within, within yourself yeah, as well. Within Definitely. Yourself. Yeah. I think, I think it, starts, it starts by reforming yeah. yourself and then you can start Definitely. to reform society. You know, go home every single night, you know, you listen to something. Don't take it out of it. Oh, it's a sad story. I cried. I can tell you on the, on the microphone, oh, this guy got hit by a bus. He died. Yeah, uh, it's, it's sad. It's over. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what, what are you going to take from that? What message are you going to take? And how are you going to implement that on yourself first and foremost, and then in society as well? At, at the end of the day, um, you know, Karbala is a university. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson for all of us. Everything. You can take everything from it. You know, uh, family, brotherhood, sisterhood, um, social reformation, uh, religious reformation. There's, there's so many aspects that you can take and fix within yourself. And then spread it to, in, into your society. Definitely. Thank you very much for your time, boys. Really enjoyed the discussion. Stimulate Your Mind is me. proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. For more of our podcasts where we try to cover all the interesting topics happening all over the globe and also the personal stories of people right here in our own backyard. Subscribe to Stimulate Your Mind on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. See you guys in a little while.